you're listening to The Charmographer. It's a music-loving podcast for music-loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it all from worst to first. And guys, it is a historic day. I cannot even begin to tell you. This is the final episode of our fourth season, our fourth mini-season where we pick strange, fun, like niche artists and do experiments, Tarantino soundtracks. Our first country artist, Shelby Lynn. And now for our 50th artist that we have ever done a ranking on, we are talking about the first ever international group that we've done, the first foreign language group, the first K-pop group, and if you're going to do a K-pop group, guys, we're going to do the ultimate K-pop group. We're going to do basically one of the foundational, most influential, most powerful, even if they weren't like the most commercially successful, people who know K-pop know exactly who they are. That's right, guys. There is no joke. They are the one, the only, one of the longest running K-pop groups in existence, if not the, that's right, guys, we're talking about Brown Eyed Girls, or a subunit m and if you're nasty. Uh, so Brown Eyed Girls, <laughs> uh, very importantly, they are a group that actually formed together uh, because the members wanted to actually get themselves together. It wasn't something that was done by the label. Uh, it was actually four people. Uh, Jaya? Jaya? Yeah. I want to make sure I'm saying everything correctly. I know. Taryn, yeah. This is Terrence Pick, and he has a great deal of familiarity. But Jay was actually the founder and the leader of the group. She's the one who hand-selected the other members, including Gain, who was actually eliminated from a TV show, uh, they, a talent show. They saw her like, no, we need her in the group. And they just became this four piece that started out kind of low-key and were basically kind of, you know, like they had some success, a couple interesting singles. And then once Abracadabra hit, girl, it changed the game. They introduced sexuality into K-pop the way that hasn't been done before. They have been uh, borrowed from Psy and so many other significant people. Some of their uh, albums have gone to the top of the charts. It is a huge crazy group that is still active today. We're talking about Brown Eyed Girls. I am so, so excited. You want to know who's talking about it? First off, there's me. I'm Evan Saudi. You might know me as the interviews editor of Pop Matters, and also I write for a bunch of whole other places. But uh, most importantly, if you know anything about this podcast, then you know the person sitting next to me. The uh, guy into my Narsha. That's right. <laughs> you're, you're trying so hard. I'm trying so hard. Uh, yeah. That's right, guys. The co-creator of the podcast, Taryn O'Reilly. Hi. How are you doing? I'm so happy. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm ready to get on the train. Get on the train. Get on the train. <laughs> um, get on the boogie train. Yeah. And talk about this group. I, I Basically, I've wanted to talk about Brown Eyed Girls since we first came up with this podcast idea uh-huh. um, just because I just think their albums their album tracks are um, just on a different level from a lot of the other k-pop acts you listen to you know a lot of them are so singles produced focused. and singles focused yeah. that like you listen to the album and it's like you know there's a couple good songs maybe obviously there are exceptions to that I'm not saying every other k-pop group is like that but that is the norm so when you listen to a group like brown eyed girls where you know almost every song is a banger mm-hmm. or an incredible ballad that they sing the shit out of then it really you know 
you see things a little bit differently. So right. that's, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, and the things I'm excited, but I'm even more excited for our special guest that we have here, uh, coming in, broadcasting in live right now from an unknown location. That's right, guys. We're talking about the one of the number one K-pop fans in the world, and also one of the biggest brown-eyed girl fans in the world. You can find his art on Instagram, <laughs> MB underscore art 21. That's right, guys. Mason Bykowski is in studio. Mason, how you doing? Hello. Hi. Hello. I'm nervous. How are you? <laughs> this might be your first ever podcast appearance. It is. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're excited that you took up the mantle and the run. And you say that Brown Eyed Girls has been one of your all-time favorites for a while, right? Yeah. They're a huge favorite of mine. And I was really lucky that they were my first ever concert back in 2016. Wow. They did like a really wow. small showcase in L.A. and, Las and um, Vegas. And I went to the L.A. stop. And it was like, I, you know, it was like I was standing front row on this tiny stage, like eye contact, a high five, Jaya. Oh, wow. A oh. Album. It was like, oh, my God. Experience. The dream. And they are so short, so much shorter life <laughs> than you would think. Yeah. As someone who's 6'2", when I saw them, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's as they all of these K-pop stars, they're so tall and beautiful. But then you're like, oh, you just have good body proportions. <laughs> yeah, that's... I, Jealous. Every time I watch a live stage from Brown Eyed Girls, like I'll notice the backup dancers and I'll be like, oh God, they're so short. They're all, mm -hmm. they're all four of them are like 5'2", I want to say. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. 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 But, you know, that's normal. Yeah. And so, listen, this is a group, uh, every single one of these members, they've had uh, solo singles and solo acts. And we're going to talk a lot about in the Happy Hour mini-sode that concludes after this. But more importantly, though, the one great thing about Brown Eyed Girls is that they have a very specific and also very clear discography. Unlike a lot mm -hmm. of other K-pop groups where there's the first mini-album and the proper full-length and the EP. Well, and and they, just, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of K-pop groups, it'll, they'll have, like, three albums, which is what we usually rank on this podcast, and then they'll have, like, nine mini albums or eps or with like, that right. like two or three mm -hmm. songs on them and that's sort of harder to talk about yeah with our with mm -hmm. our um system system but yeah. but that being said the thankfully they do have seven basic albums which are all incredibly fascinating of course uh there is uh their very first debut from 2006 their super bloated uh track lengthwise your story from 2006 there is their a uh, little bit more ballady leave miss kim from 2007 there is their big pop breakthrough in the form of sound in 2009. There is their even, even bigger pop breakthrough with Sixth Sense in 2011. Uh, there is their kind of pop come down of an album that is Black Box from 2013. There is their science heavy record Basic from 2015. And then there is their covers album Revive from 2019. Now they do have two other EPs in there. They have Your Love uh, and they have, what is My the, Style. My Style, that's right. And those are fine, but also very, very much qualify as EPs, as they have little instrumental bits tacked on and, at the yeah, end. Yeah, it's, it's like three or four songs. Right, each. exactly. So mm -hmm. per our format, we will not be ranking them. But otherwise, this is, I think, a very agreeable list. They made it easy for us, thankfully. I'm glad they had the foresight to think about us. Very kind of them. Uh, Mason, do you have any disagreements? Are you okay with ranking these seven albums here? Yep. Okay. Ready to go. Great. Awesome. In that case, guys, we're going to do it. We're going to start with it. Starting with number seven out of seven. We don't have to, you know, all we're going to do is just a friendly debate. We're open to ideas. We're open to life-changing, mind-altering experiences and debates. But most importantly, Mason, you are the guest, so you are in the special, unenviable task seat. That's right. I'm just not asking for your ranking. I just want you to nominate out of these seven albums. What would you, Mason, rank as the number seven album of the Brown Eyed Oh, no. Girls? I'm first. Um, okay. 
I don't think this is a bad album, okay. but I think it's their most forgettable for me. Okay. I would say Leaving Miss Kim. Um, it's not bad. I like it. I think that there's some fun stuff on it. It's very, like, 90s R&B heavy. Yes. Um, that one and your story are very much Mariah Wants Her Album Back. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like them, um, but I would say Leaving Miss Kim is, of the two, like, the most forgettable. It's the one that I'm like, oh yeah, that, that one that one exists. And it's fun, but it's not... I wouldn't tell anyone to go listen to it right, right now. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. I'm so glad we're all on the same page here. Because <laughs> um, that al- that's always is, makes... Because sometimes, you know, it's not great when we rank the, the lowest album because, you know, someone's favorite. Right, exactly. Favorite. I know. Um, but also, it's just so... Uh, both of these albums, but especially Lee Miss Kim, are just so ballad-heavy. And here's the thing. Korea, they love a ballad. Uh, they, they love are, a ballad. Yeah, they... Absolutely do. And the thing is, like, that's great, but the thing is that these albums don't necessarily have the same kind of oomph that their later records, especially, have a certain color and a certain, like, musical dexterity to them that you just, mm -hmm. yeah. Especially Leave Miss Kim, it's like, we're talking about Oasis's on here. Like, which is arguably one of their worst songs for me. Yeah. Oasis is like the... The, like it's the end of the SM family concert and all of the groups are on stage <laughs> and they're like singing the like happy end of the concert song together. Um, except that like they have the good sense not to try and promote that as a single. Right. Um, so like, and, and that like, you know that if Oasis, you think that's one of your strongest tracks, like this is not a great album. Um, mm-hmm. it, like I, there's a couple good things on here. Like, I think the title track, um, Leave Miss Kim, yeah. like, it's it's solid. I like, I you know, I'm always a sucker for horns, of course. Triangle with its weird, like, flute situation. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of like song. it. Yeah. And I do like the backing vocals on mine. The, mm-hmm. she in Because it opens with that little do-do-do, like, this kind of, like, very, yeah. It's like a nice little it's start. It's fun. Yeah. But, like... That's kind of all there is to say it's about it. It's my best section. takeaway out of this album that is not full of takeaways. Although this is, this is, uh, I'm Got Fooled By You, is everybody get on the boogie train. Get yeah. on the train. Get, get on, on the, the train. train. Which is both just terrible, <laughs> but also makes me so happy every time I hear it. Yeah. I just can't help but smile, even though it doesn't fit the song at all. Yeah. But yeah. So do you have any takeaways on this, Mesa? I think it's, um, I feel like when I think of Brown and Girls, I feel of like something very thematic and concept heavy. And I just think that Leaving Miss Kim has interesting ideas. Like, like I think the title track had like a good, like if you look at the lyrics, I think it has like an interesting message. Yeah. But I don't know if like the album as a whole is as thematically strong as some of their other works are. Definitely. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, Taryn, you were saying very specifically the lyrics of Leave Miss Kim, that exact phrase actually holds significance. Well, yeah. Well, I like it just because, I mean, Kim is the most common surname in Korea. So it, and then it's talking about how like, you know, Metropolitan, Metropolitan. 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 (laughs) It's talking about how, like, metropolitan life is, like, draining and boring and, like, how they want to escape to the sun in the countryside and, like, get out of here. Um, And I just like that it's, like, it's sort of a universal message talking to, like, tons of people in Korea are Ms. Kim. Yeah. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. so I, 
I just I thought that was yeah. like, like it, it kind of shows and the thing is that uh, uh, Gaia actually with some of her solo work like especially uh, Fuck You especially other things she has a little bit of a psychodrama essence to her lyrics she always talks about like some like abusive relationships and other things like mm-hmm. speaks about things in Frank Matters and that's why like with Lead Miss Kim you can kind of see the start of it it just doesn't translate to a good or interesting or engaging album ultimately like the seeds of something very different are there it's just mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, long story short, Mason, I agree with you. I would also vote for Elite Miss Kim as our number seven spot, and I feel so, so good about that. Great. Let's uh, get so it out good. of the way. Let's get it out of the way. Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Number seven, Elite Miss Kim. Okay, good. So, we're there. Now, it takes us up to number six. Now, Mason, you uh, kind of spoke about maybe your story potentially being in the spot. I kind of want to turn it to Taryn. I want to see what would you Absolutely. Yeah. The same. Your story. Okay. Yeah. No, and, and it's, it's a similar problem. Not, I mean, besides that it's 15 songs, which is way too many um, for mm-hmm. to sit through this kind of style. Um, I mean, it has a couple runs where it's like three ballads in a row, and I'm just like, oh, God, stop. I'm so right. bored. I, I do think second is solid, you know? Like, sometimes the song doesn't have to be the, the absolute strongest, but if you give me an incredible vocal performance, like, I'm happy. Um, and that does happen a couple times yeah. on here. Mm-hmm. Um, like on uh, the second song um, came and um, uh, Forgetting, I actually, I really liked some of the vocal takes on there too. Or like, mm-hmm. I, I almost like String, except that it has the sound of a phone getting picked up and hung up again, like a bunch <laughs> of times throughout it. And I just think that's really annoying. Yeah. But, but you were also talking about how, like, you noticed that vocally they do something different on this album that they don't do for the rest well, of their career. Yeah, so in K-pop still at this point, I, obviously this is a full 90s R&B ballad through, through, or album through and through, both this and Leave Miss Kim. Um, Because that's what was popular. Mm -hmm. And so that style of singing was popular. That really, like, full-bodied, throaty, um, you know, like, open, powerful singing. Um, And then when that stopped becoming what was popular in K-pop, and it switched much harder to, like, this dance, dance, synth-pop, like, light and bubbly singing sound. Like, with, obviously, like, this is when Girls' Generation was happening, and um, tons of other groups were doing that. And so... They sort of switched to that too. And then it, it they just kind of, like, obviously Jaya still belts a ton. Um, and Narsha and Gan can, can give strong vocal performances later in their career, but they never go back to, like, I don't think Gain ever sounds as good as she does on Your Story. Again. Hot take. Like, Hot she take. really is singing the shit out of some of these songs, and she just kind of mm-hmm. stops doing that for the rest of her career. It's Do you agree, Mason? I agree until their most recent album. She really focused on her vocals again. Yeah. Okay. And, or, and like, for example, like, um, if you listen to one of her solo songs, Paradise Lost, like, she's she sings the mm. shit out of that one, too. But most of the time, she just doesn't. And, and it it's interesting because both her and Narsha have vocal takes on most of the later albums where I hear it and I go, I wish that you had... Try it a little harder on this one. You know, like, I love you. I love you so much. Yeah. Like, you're, like, you're my all-time favorite K-pop group. But also, like, really? You had to go, like, full light nasal on that? You, I, I think if they had just, like, supported better and actually, like, sung it, yeah. some of the, especially the later ballads, like, would have been more effective. Yeah. But that's, mm-hmm. yeah. 
lots of hot takes there. Yeah. But anyway, this album, your story, I will say part of me is sad. It goes so low because um, Fly Up With You Today with Tonight. Bobby Kim. Yeah is like one of my favorite songs by them ever. I put heard it on it, a mix CD for me way in the early stages. Well, because yeah. it was on their Greatest Hits album, which I listened to a ton when it came out. And I just, they don't do anything like that anywhere else in their career with um, that guitar solo. Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a beautiful song anyway. And um, Aside from the rock remix of Second, as we know, which is uh, <laughs> striking. And honestly, when I heard that, that kind of blew me away a little bit because I hadn't heard that. And Taryn's like, oh yeah, well, have you heard Super Junior's debut single? And I'm like, yeah, it's a rock song, but it fucking sucks ass. So, well, I just know. mean that it was... Right, exactly. Other people had attempted like the full-on rock so ballad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's good. And the thing is that when that drum beat kicks in, when it goes full fucking uh, candy, yeah, I think I'm not like that. I'm like I'm there for that. But yeah, overall, it's it's an album that I enjoy more than Late Miss Kim. I was surprised by because it just sounds so unlike any other other records. It doesn't mm-hmm. even sound like Late Miss Kim to be honest. But like in terms of takeaways, like Watch Out kind of like is almost alarming in the which all of a sudden this fast upbeat song just kind of hits you mm-hmm. but you gotta watch out and it's just like oh shit we're going into full fucking like mid-2000s like hip-hop you know pop stuff but yeah mason what what are your what are your thoughts takeaways on this yeah well, like do you have any faves yeah no i agree with your story um i will say when i first heard that album i couldn't get past the first song <laughs> because for some reason i love second and, like, the moment it starts with Jaya just going off, I was like, yeah. 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 And then I have to, like, replay it. And then I got to the rest of the album, and I was like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. That's okay. So it's, many ballads. Um, it's, like, it's like there's smatterings of greatness here and there. Mm-hmm. I like everybody. I like forgetting. Um, but I feel like a lot of it just kind of runs into each other, and it's not very distinguishable. So I really like the first song, but I think it steeply goes downhill after that. But I think vocally it's an interesting album. I mean, three of the girls can really sing, and Mirio is a very talented rapper, and I think they do a good job of not making her feel forced in a lot of their songs, Mm -hmm. but she is a little bit forgotten in these first few albums, I feel. Right. But as she goes on, a turn pointed out very uh, distinctly, she can rap over any Anything. fucking thing. Mm-hmm. You throw her a, like a good old languid ballad, she'll find a way to integrate a rap into it. Maybe it'll be a little mm-hmm. bit slower, but she'll still find a way. Upbeat song doesn't matter. Every single time, she finds a way. Also, mm-hmm. I found out this fucking crazy thing about her. She apparently has the most copyrights of any female idol in terms of songwriting because she does all the stuff. She writes most of her own raps for Brown Eyed Girls, but she also writes mm-hmm. some other songs for other people. So she's like, she's one of the most published female idols, like, in Korea, which is just crazy. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm exactly. sure her and Ellie both are probably two oh, of the most talented yeah. female rappers and have definitely some of the most song credits. Yeah. They've written hits. <laughs> hits, girl, hits. Well, listen, I'm not going to have any argument. There's one album that I kind of maybe would put here, but I'm going to talk about that after we officially slot... Your story at number six on our ranking. Uh, so that lead takes us up to number five in terms of our ranking. And number five, I gotta throw it out here because I cannot let this album get any higher personally. And it's fascinating and I appreciate it for what it's trying to do. But Revive, as a record, 
It's, it's interesting. Here's the thing. So the thing is that this is a covers album. They are covering a lot of classic Korean hits. They're covering a lot of early, early, like, not even like first wave K-pop, but like some of the more popular songs like from back in the day. They're going through a lot more traditional things. They're reinterpreting things. It's fascinating. A consistent album, I'm not sure it does make. This is a thing that, this comes off of after four years of kind of like them not really being a thing because uh, uh, Gaia was actually bullied oh. online, I believe, for yeah, a little bit. Yeah, she took a mental health break for yeah. a couple of years, so this was sort of their first comeback, comeback yeah. um, in like four years, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like this album a lot more now than I did the first time I listened to it. I think Wonder Woman is a fun enough single, but I Fun enough is exactly how I would describe it, yes. I really like their cover of Sorrow, which is for those Mm -hmm. for those who know K pop, this is a this is a hit. This is like one of JYP's like earliest as a record label hits um, from G O D and I just really like I mean, Brown Eyed Girls knows how to do salsa. (laughs) <laughs> they do they do they do and they and did tango. really well with sorrow they took this like you know early 2000s like fully dj on the turntable type sound and turned it into this fun tango number yeah and i just really like it and i will say invitation uh is a stunning it's a stunning dance pop song like for the record as much yeah. as wonder woman was the lead single invitation absolutely just fucking got me well and i think they that knew that spot. it was yeah in in early 2000s it was <laughs> right. yeah yeah, 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 yeah. jung wa did it like uh early 2000s jyp wrote it which is crazy yeah um so, yeah, Invitation is a lead single. I mean, that's... And it feels like it. It was, right. it was a huge hit. Right, and you were saying that Om hyung was actually one of the early K-pop success stories, right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, she was, she was in She's that... featured on the song. ...that early 2000s, you know, I would call her part of the first true wave of, of K-pop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, she was huge for a long time. Um, so mm-hmm. that's part of why it's cool to have her on this record, um... Doing the vocal, but the singing. With but then hair. when you get to love like a spring rain, farewell like a winter rain. When you get to the fucking the letter, that is just like snooze alarm city well, for me. They get know. into that languid ballad territory. Mason has thoughts and feelings about this. I can't <laughs> tell. No, please let him, let would. it out. I just um I think this album when I first heard it, I was very disappointed because I was waiting very patiently for four years. Right. I had really thought it was a rap with the brown eyed girls and I had lost so many K-pop groups that I loved because I am a second gen stan. Yeah. yeah. We lost 21, four minute. We lost all of us. It was brutal for a couple so years when there. It, when it was coming back, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. And when I heard it was a cover album, I was like, it all crashed down. And I heard it and I was like, it's okay. I don't know though, but I feel like this album is an album. You have to listen to it at night. Like, this is this is a nighttime album you listen to like driving in your car or like you you know did some puff puff and you're just chilling <laughs> at night. Um, I mean, yeah, that is how we listened to this album. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. No, I well, and I I really I I really do like some of the things on here. I think um, I actually really story. like the production on a common love story. Yes. Um, and as as an mm-hmm. introduction to this record that is overall pretty calm, I think that it was a good choice. 
Um, I don't know why they chose Abandoned to get a whole ass music video. Um, <laughs> Me either. Like, that was Because like, they, they sing it well, but it's not that like it's not blowing me away i i i I literally i would pay such good money for a sorrow music video except i know that that was already like a huge hit single so it doesn't make a ton of sense for them to do that but and then i really i kind of dig the weirdness that is the sky i don't Mm -hmm. know what this like when you're talking about puff puff like that's (laughs) it's super illegal in korea so i know they didn't but they could have yeah. To to make yeah. that weird thing because it is it's all over the place, yeah. and I do yeah. also appreciate it as sort of like a break in the each of the singers got to choose their own song and all three of them chose a ballad. Um, of course, run at yeah. the end there. So, but when I nominated it, I saw Mason. I saw your face right there. It was a gape. It was gigantic. What 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 were you shocked by this? Were you expecting this? What was going on? I think it's. A really great, in some ways, return to form for the Brown Eyed Girls. It's like what they debuted with, but, you know, evolved. And I think that's interesting. I think uh, A Common Love Story is like, when I first heard that song, I like actually got a little teary because I was like, oh, this this is what I've been wanting from the Brown Eyed Girls. Mm-hmm. And it was actually arranged by one of my favorite KR&B singers at the moment, Suman, um, who has worked with a lot of K-pop people. She did. She worked with BTS. She's worked with Red Velvet. She she may not have had a hit of her own, but she has produced some mm-hmm, good shit. Mm-hmm. And she rearranged the song for them. And I think she did a great job. And I think Wonder Woman didn't hit quite well at first, right. but I think um, the music video was really pretty, and it made me want to listen to the song again. Also, side note: um, Brenner Girls has been repping for the gays for quite a while now. I was literally about queens, to say that, and I was like snaps you did it again you did it in basic you doing it here thank you um <laughs> i love it it's just one of those albums where it's like i could just put it on and just like have a nice night but i understand if you don't like it i understand if you think it's maybe more boring or just not that interesting it's one thing that it's it's something that i like but i i get that you would put it so low but i also have an album hot take for later so oh okay well okay well let's just put it this way let's put it this way i nominated it for a number five what would you nominate for a number five slot okay this is a big hot take oh god I would put six cents um yeah i think it's uh it maybe it's like musically like technically great but i just am bored it's just a lot it's very oh, theatrical. oh my god <laughs> I'm so sorry. You, oh both of you are so in disagreement. Oh my Sixth God. Sense is one of my all-time favorite Brown Eyed Girl songs, though, I will say. And I like Love Motion and Hot Shot. But overall, I'm like, I got to be in the mood for it. And I'm barely in the mood for listening to that album in full. I'm literally always in the mood for this album. I literally, <laughs> I literally, I, Hot Shot, if Abracadabra didn't exist, Hot Shot would be my favorite song from them. Like, I do not agree with that, but I understand where it's coming from. I love that shit. Hey, keep the change. All right. um, <laughs> but also, like, La Boheme didn't, it didn't used to be my favorite, but it's grown on me. La Boheme knocked me the fuck away this week. I'm not even going to fucking lie. The thing is that, like, I, I, the thing is, I, I am going to be especially curious as to how you got here, because for me, 
Sixth Sense is a very high up for me for a couple reasons. One, it is concise. It does a lot within the course of eight songs. Mm -hmm. And B, in terms of pop maximalism, there is a freedom to these this record that is just kind of mind-blowing, honestly, for me. Because honestly, mm -hmm. when you get to the horror riffs of Vendetta, when you get to the fact that you have a fucking big band intro in the style of Swing It Shorty, and it's like an intro is one of my favorite songs of the album, kind of blowing me away. On top of Sixth Sense, we will have a whole goddamn discussion about Sixth Sense in a bit when we talk mm -hmm. about the album so i am you saying we're not talking about the album no i want to talk about it in a little bit but the thing is that like i <laughs> i can appreciate i can understand it like for me six cents is like i would argue they felt like they got liberated with sound g sound g was the record that has abracadabra abracadabra was the song that put them on the fucking map it absolutely broke them through it changed the game it changed how yeah, a lot of people I mean, view it's, korean it's pop sold almost four million copies exactly like, like it's a giant thing and i feel like six cents is them taking liberty uh, basically, like using that artistic freedom to go even bigger and Absolutely. even weirder, and I appreciate. And that's that. the thing about Soundji is, I mean, I don't know if I'm totally ready to talk about it yet, except I kind of am. But Soundji, I it isn't as good as I remembered it being. I love like Abracadabra is literally in my like top ten favorite songs ever. Like it's so good. I mm -hmm. can't overstate so how much I love this song. Mm -hmm. I love Candyman. There's some really incredible stuff on here, but it also still Sound G still feels like the group from Your Story and Leave Miss Kim, and then by extension their EPs from the year before. They're still like a group that. You know, they put themselves together, but they are still on a record label. The record label is still is like helping source the songs and helping source the producers for them. And it still feels a little composed and like selected and it doesn't feel as authentic. When, whereas I feel like Sixth Sense is the first album and then all four of the albums after that, it sounds like Brown Eyed Girls, these four women made every artistic choice. Yeah. On, like, they got to pick the songs, they got to decide, like, what the sound mm -hmm. of the album was and what, like, it really feels like they got, they had input in the promotional materials and the videos and, like, and obviously they did have some of that earlier on, like, the video for Abracadabra caused tons of controversies, um, yeah. but, mm -hmm. like, I feel like with Sixth Sense it was really their first, like, statement, their whole, right. like, the whole, all eight songs fit together Mm -hmm. as an artist statement. Mm -hmm. um. I mean, yeah. I It's like, I think the thing is, like, I totally agree, but at the same time, it just musically doesn't hit me besides the title track. So I'll let you guys put it up. I think you guys made a really good case. Um, like, it doesn't so I'm, have to be number one, but I, I listen, I rarely will be that guy, but we have to outvote you <laughs> at, at this point, just because, listen, I, I, would you agree outside of putting Sixth Sense aside, would you agree that Revive would be the other album you would put down here, or do you have super strong feelings? Uh, I'm torn between Revive and Sound G. Interesting. Um, okay. Okay. So, I mean, Revive and Sound G are the two that I would have next. I would definitely. You would put Sound G next. I would definitely put Revive, number uh, five. As, as number five, and Sound okay. G is four personally. I'm but, so surprised. But Sound G, I mean, like I said, I I think um, Strange Days sounds like it's like post eight bit. I mm -hmm. I love the production on that song, and I love that they just do this like light 
breathy mm-hmm. and Muriel's rap on it is so weird. And right before Strange Days is Moody Night, which is one of my favorite songs from them for Just sure. basically, uh, If You Seek Amy by Britney Spears. And it's actually, it's from the same producer as the song on Black Box. Oh, Mystery Survivor. Oh, which okay. also yes, it sounds like which, the precursor. Yeah, right. yeah. And so, and and both of those songs sound like Black Box era Britney Spears to me. So, uh, it, it, blackout like, era. What? What did I say? I think it's a Black Box. Era. Oh, I probably which is did like say Black Box. Same. Yeah, yeah, Blackout yeah. era. You get what I meant. Yeah. But yeah, so that's um, like I do. I really I love half of this album, mm-hmm. um, but the other half mm-hmm. is Glam Girl. And Addiction, which is, might be my least favorite song from them. Like, total all Addiction? All. Really? I just, hmm. it's like they took uh, Love and My Style and Sign, which are all the yeah. same song, and yeah. they just kind of like slowed it down and made it even less interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's hot take on that. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's, and then the ballads at the end are fine. Well, and I think that's my other problem with it is that because like abracadabra is such a strong statement and even like glam girl and addiction and Candyman, like these all fit together sonically for me and then there's three ballads at the end and that's part of why uh-huh. I, I say like it feels like a record label made this decision because like the ballads on sixth sense and the ballads on the, the rest of the albums they don't they don't like stick out so bad like i feel like the ones on sound g do mm-hmm and so for that, as an album listening experience, that's why I would put it lower. Interesting. I mean, I think the, the ballads on Revive are especially heinous, but that's just that's just me. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're boring. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, I think at the very least, we can consensusively decide that Revive would at least be number five. We can outvote Mason at least on that. But then, because I think sure. that just has to that just has to happen. I have to bury that record at some point uh, at number five. But number four. Um, I hadn't really thought about Sound G in that light. It's just, and I think it's one of those things where I just, I kind of agree. Sound G for me is defined by Abracadabra because that song is such, it's like, there are a few other K-pop songs that hit kind of that point of like, it feels like eight different songs on top of each other. Right. Like any part of the song could be a hook for any other major pop mm-hmm. song. Like the only other way, the only other song that comes close to that for me is like, TT by uh, Twice, or honestly, yes. or honestly, Superhuman by NCT One Twenty Seven. Yeah, we're like, like the first uh, and the pre-chorus and the chorus could all have been like choruses for a hit for someone. Right, else. absolutely. Yeah. Like, and so Abracadabra, I just feel colors so much of that because it truly is. You said it's one of your top ten favorite songs of all time, not even K-pop, just all time. Yeah, and I kind of agree with you. Like, it's just so fucking good. I mean, I think the question like that goes to you, Mason. Where were you when you first heard Abracadabra? You know, like that's just kind of a foundational K-pop mm-hmm. question. <laughs> I think my friend showed it to me because I got into K-pop because a friend was just like showing me YouTube videos and I was like, I like this, I like this, I like this. Mm-hmm. And I think she showed me Sixth Sense and then Abracadabra after that. And that's what really sold me on the Brown Eyed Girls, um, especially because I love, I mean, the dance for Abracadabra. Come on. Well, yeah, it's, it's great. It's so iconic. The dance is great. It's, I mean, it's like globally known, at least uh-huh. like dance, in, yeah. in East Asia, like everybody knows that dance yeah. and can do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love that part of the video where like it's the bridge and they're just, Guyan is like rolling on the floor. I was like, yeah, get it? 
I mean, done. the the backup cool. dancers fully like touch her titties. Like they like <laughs> rub their hands over her boobs in that part, and it's like, right? oh, uh, okay, guy. And this was yeah. two two thousand nine in Korea. Like, yeah. no one would dare do that today. Fully in a big K-pop song. Completely, you couldn't get a Black Pink or Red Velvet to do that. You just no, no, you, you know, could not. Absolutely, never. yeah. It said Red Velvet are going to be in the new Trolls movie, Trolls World Tour, coming out this summer. Uh, yes. <laughs> Mason's like, I know. <laughs> um, okay, so in I that, there. Yeah, that's right. God damn it. God damn it. I forgot. You made that happen, didn't you? You bastard. No. <laughs> um, so that okay. So that being said, I will still fight for six cents for at least a couple more slots. I will say. But you said Sound G would genuinely be after Revive at number five. You say Sound G would be your next candidate. Yeah. I think, I mean, I feel like we've had a somewhat good discussion about it already. Um, I just think that it's, there are some really good, it's it's a bit, uh, like, half of it is great, and then the other half of it, you're like, meh. Yeah. And I think, I think as good as Abracadabra is, and as good if we're even considering the repackage with Sign and that other song. Drunk on Sleep. Um, those are still great, but I just don't think it outweighs... <laughs> the stuff they do after it, because I think that there's so much good production and theme coming up for their discography. Mm-hmm. And as you say, Liberation was Sixth Sense, and I feel like some other stuff after that, too, it's like, wow, they just, they went there. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry, while we're talking about, you mentioned Drunk on Sleep, and I just have to point out that Drunk on Sleep is The Winner Takes It All by ABBA in Korean. It's not... <laughs> Not like literally note for note, but it's like, it's really close. And the song Mm -hmm. just like slowly builds from a whisper to a shout over the course of it. And like, they sing the shit out of it. I actually really like that song, but it's, it's just an awesome song. All right. Well, in that case, does that mean we're officially putting Sound G at number four? I think so. It's all right. I mean, listen, we're, we're, this is good. There is contention and I appreciate that. And I love that. And that's great. Uh, so that lean that number seven we have lead Miss Kim. Number six we have your story. Number five we have revive. Number four we have Soundji, which I guess I mean like I agree with. I just wasn't expecting it. It's just like it's so legendary for other reasons. So that leaves Six Sense from 2011, Black Box from 2013, and Basic from 2015. And we know what Mason would put. Next. Mason would it's put still Six Sense. It's still Six Sense. Right? <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I don't want Six Sense to go higher. But I have like I know you said don't come in with like a clear number one, but I do have a clear number you one. Do. I mean, um, I, <laughs> I I kind of do too. It wasn't a clear number one because it was between this other one and Six Sense for me. But um, I would say if it was up to me, if it was up to Taryn, next would be Black Box. <laughs> I will succumb to this, but I love Black Box. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Black Box a little bit, though. First off, I want to say something, and I realize this may be controversial, but in terms of their legendary singles, Kill Bill doesn't do it for me. I am so, so sorry. The rest of this album, Lincoln, talk about the rest of this album. I will gladly talk about the rest of this album. I will talk mm-hmm. about Recipe and everything else, but Kill Bill, weirdly... It just feels, I don't know, I just hate it. I really do. This kind of like weird kind of like bouncy synth thing that's not unlike the rest of their discography or their singlesography mm-hmm. even. Yeah, I agree. It's a really weird song and I remember I didn't like it. I will say I grew to like it because I saw it live and something about it live just yeah. hits well sure. because 
I think the dance works really well, seeing it live, and then Mirio just has these two rap chunks, and she killed it when I saw them live, and that made me be like, oh, damn. Like, I just can't wait for those parts specifically. Right. But I will say, it's a pretty weak single for the Brown Eyed Girls. Yeah! For sure. Because well, they have some terrific ahead. B-sides. Boy... Boy. Oh my god. I mean, boy. I love boy. Come boy. on. So good. <laughs> That's boy boy is like a full Pharrell Williams production. Like it sounds like it could have been on like a Justin Timberlake album or like I, it's so good. Right. But then you also have other things like Mystery Survivor. Which I mentioned yes. earlier sounds yeah. like Blackout Era Britney Spears. It's so freaking good. Honestly, He's yeah. Lying did it for me too. I was very surprised by that. He's yeah. Lying is almost like the love motion or the like <laughs> yeah, strange yeah, 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 days yeah. of this album. Uh-huh. Like it's the sort of like mid-tempo groove. It's, it's, a, it's not as like sexy as those other ones, but... Uh, yeah, he's lying. Definitely, I was like, okay, I fucks with this. Yeah, and recipe. Well, yeah, obviously recipe. I mean, and we... so, uh, recipe mm-hmm. for those in the know is produced by Primary, who is a huge producer in K-pop. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Primary. He, he's done some more stuff for them, which we'll get into. Yeah, because it's good. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> he. I mean, he is like all over the place. Every song he touches is gold. Um, he also never mind. Um, <laughs> but. That's, I mean, as soon as I was like, oh, it's primary. No wonder I like this song so much. Um, The the recipe for sure is also like one of my favorite tracks from them, hands down. And I, honestly, this album is just really good. It's just really good start to finish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we're going up to the top three. I'm dying to ask, but Mason, was this your other number one potential, Black Box? This was not, this was, this was, this would have been my number two. It wouldn't have been my number one. Okay. So I guess you guys can tell which one, which my, what my number one is. So, um, and that, that is also my, my number one. Um. Wait, which one? Basic. Oh, oh, wait, really? Yeah. Wait, mm-hmm. really? So, uh, so I would almost be okay putting like six cents next as a compromise and then doing black box and then. Um, I mean, we have to we have to talk about basics still, obviously, but I'm just amazed because I thought I thought you and I were kind of moving into it because for me, Six Sense was so clearly my number one record coming into this week. I was just so utterly like taken with it and just blown away by its power and its like pure pop exuberance. Yeah, and that, well, for, yeah. For, I mean, personally, Six Sense and Basic are about a tie for me. Like, Basic is, honestly, let's call it three songs longer, because Sixth Sense has two interludes. Uh, and yeah, so, it's true. Like, like, the, the like, highs and lows sort of even out between the two for me. I mean, shit, if we're here, let's talk about Basic. Let's talk about Basic. Well, Mason, what do you think about Basic? Basic, when it came out, blew me away. I think, like, doing, like, an album about, like, space and time, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is kind of a weird thing for a K-pop group to do. Mm-hmm. But they committed to the concept full throttle. It's one of those albums where I could listen to it the whole way through and not skip. It's just, to me, it's so good. I remember first hearing, what was the, what was the lead single? Uh, Brave New World. Yeah. Um, and just those, hey, just like the opening <laughs> yeah. haze and the beat. I was like, oh, we're, we're in it. We're in it today. Well, and uh, like, that's... Verses were good. Yeah. The chorus was good. Gain in the in the glitter, in the rainbow tunnel, like, yeah. stunning, amazing, perfect. Yeah. That's, I, Brave New World, is, like, I've never heard anything else like it in K-pop, honestly. 
It's like this weird mm-hmm. mix, like it has like disco string samples. It clearly they used a live bassist to record that bass line because there's a lot of like real true funky things happening there and like some improvisation and it, it like there's some really unconventional like key changes. Like the pre-chorus is in a completely different key from the rest of the song. And then um, after the second chorus, when just everything drops out and it's just like the beat and Mirio rapping, like I just, mm-hmm. it, it, it reminds me like they did also use that trick in Sixth Sense, but for it's even more effective in Brave New World. It's just, it's just so good. Well, Brave New World is constantly on the verge of breaking out into Don't Stop Till You Get a Knot by Michael Jackson. It never does. It's just always on the verge <laughs> of doing it at any given moment. But more importantly, Basin, and Mason, hopefully you will agree with this, Basin, I, I think, is by far their horniest album by by a long Oh, slide. Wormhole? Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, Wormhole, Wormhole, I don't like just because there's a couple translations that I don't think work. I'm not feeling very well when you touch me down there. Like, that's the part that I'm just kind no, of it's, like... I'm not feeling very well, so touch me down there. That's... Which, which I thought about. It's, I think it might be a play on, like, hysteria. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Like, it's a play <laughs> on because they used so to prescribe funny. orgasms. Catchy, it's catchy. I think these are women in their thirties now. Right, and they're doing a song about "Touch Me Down There." Oh uh, my god! Also, like I your faves would never. Yeah. I can't believe because okay, so the the um, head of the like Korean censorship. Um, I don't remember yeah. what it's actually called, but KBS they Trump. are they are like notorious for making acts either completely not perform a song at all, like it just mm-hmm. gets banned. Like they're like, this is our lead single, and the bureau's like, how about no, you can't perform that on TV. Yeah, um, or like making them change choreography, making them change lyrics. I cannot believe. That brown eyes girls got to perform wormhole on music shows. I can't believe Me either. And they they, they did it more than once. Like yes, it wasn't like just twice. Like twice, yeah. someone in Korea was like, "This isn't sexual. This is fine." I mean, they literally and like, "Is it because a lot of the sexual lo- lines are like in English, and they were just like, whatever? Maybe sure. they didn't have a translator. Yeah. I don't know, but like, I oh. God, did they, they have, use English as their way to get around it?" I don't think so. I don't think but, so. Yeah, because no, they there's there have definitely been English lyrics that have gotten censored before. Yeah. Um. I mean, Guyan put out "fuck you," so you know. Right, and, and to... that I mean, she was like, "We're gonna promote this," and they were like, "Yeah, no, you're you're not. You can make a music video." Right, but, but even with that, then you also have Atomic, uh, which is another very horny song yeah. about if having you know uh, Atomic you know, feelings and uh, the constant cries of touch my body, you know, like going on later on. I I am curious about the song, but then again, this is a record that also has uh, Higgs on it. So It's just this exuberant uh, day glow pop version of like, you know, like horns and, you know, like beats and whatnot. You also have Mm -hmm. Obsession, which I became very fascinated with this week, which Mm -hmm. is good. I love Obsession. Obsession. Obsessed. Hashtag. Right. Uh, and the thing is that, like, I'm just kind of surprised because for me, like, Time of Ice Cream is just kind of this, like, little, like, mid-tempo-y kind of, like, breezy little opener that I just feel like is not indicative of anything that happens for the rest of the album. So that's the other song by Primary, the guy who did Recipe. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, that, actually, Time for Ice Cream is, this is, like, probably not a popular take, is probably my favorite Brown Eyed Girls B-side. Something about just, like, the simple little R&B melody and just the... If I 
I can't sing. And just like the, the little hook at the beginning of the chorus yeah. is so simple and enticing. It's one of those songs that like I feel like I could just put on loop and take a walk and just like enjoy the sun or something. So you know? I completely it's actually also one of my favorite tracks from them, like in my, you know, top fifteen or so. Um Mm-hmm. It's, I really enjoy it. I think it's a solid opener for this album because this album is so focused on live instrumentation. Like it's all about, yeah, it's yeah. all about like the drums and the guitar and the keyboard and the the big horns and the strings, even if the strings are samples. Like, um, and so to me, Time of Ice Cream doesn't feel out of place at all because it still is at, at least in that vein. As mm-hmm. opposed to like, you know, going back to Sound Chi when you have like full electro pop with mocha um you know whereas like on here i think i think it's actually like it's a nice sort of ease in and then it's like fire ha ha fire in the hole um yes. you know what i mean <laughs> like i think it's a great way to like be like we're you know because time of ice cream is also a little horny yeah. so it's like mm-hmm, it's, yeah. it's like their gentle come on and then it works and then fire in the hole you know Okay, <laughs> I feel, I will say though, uh, uh, light to the light is not is one of his ballad blandness. Oh yeah, Jay wrote that one, and it's yeah. bad. Yeah, that that's the weakest song in my opinion. Okay. for sure. Do you have other favorites on this one, Mason? My favorites, I think we've. I mean, I like almost everything except for light. Dice play again. They're doing a lot of Latin influence there. But I think my favorites are Time for Ice Cream, Brave New World, and Obsession mm-hmm. are definitely my top three favorites. Okay. Yeah. Wave is good. I like Wave too. Yeah. She's cute. Wave for me is a little predictable. Um and you mentioned dice play and that I for me dice play is like their least interesting foray into Latin just because they've done it so well so many times that like yeah. I could take or leave that one. Um Yeah. But it's not bad and it's way at the end of the album. Yeah. So you know, no big. Yeah. It's like, I feel like that song is when you're listening through the album, you're like, this is fine, but I'm not just going to be like, you know, I'm going to listen to Dice Play right now. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's kind of like, when you're listening to the album, it's fine, but like, I don't want to listen to it just by itself and then listen to, you know, TT. I'm like, I'll just listen to TT. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, and the thing is that this whole discussion is just fascinating because I just thought that the universal opinion would be that Six Sense would be the number one Brown Eyed Girls album. And now, I mean, the thing is that like Basic still was a surprising record. It definitely has a lot more thematic cohesion than any of the other records that they've had, truly. And I mean that. Uh, it's just, I'm just surprised that it's in that discussion for uh, the top slot there. So then the real question comes to now that we've talked about it. We still haven't ranked number three, number two, number one on this, you know, uh, how do we go? Because, I mean, I said, and I will still stand by the fact that Six Sense is my personal number one. I know it's your number two, although I know, Mason, you wanted to put it back, way back there. Think, because yeah, you have, you because something, this okay album did something two. to you. <laughs> what? I think you I think you guys made a really great case for Six Sense. It's, like, totally just, like, I know nothing about music, and it's just, like, personal taste. It's not for me. But I think you guys made a great case for Sixth Sense, and I could see it being number two. I don't know if I could no, let it no. go. No, no. Here's the thing. I gotta tell you right now, if you're fine with putting Sixth Sense at number two, I will like, gladly agree to that. <laughs> we could put Black Box at number three, yeah. and we could put Basic right near the tippy top if we're okay with that. I'm very happy. You okay with that? We agree with that? Okay. I think that's literally, like, top to bottom, this is how I ranked it. 
Oh, well, well as long as Terry gets whatever the fuck he wants, then that's all that matters. So, guys, let's go ahead. Let's do the recap in our recap segment brought to you by Tums. That's right, guys. Let's go on number seven, Leave Miss Kim. Number six, Your Story. Number five, Revive. Number four, Sound G. Number three, Black Box. Number two, Six Sense. And number one, as you know, The Single Magic. Everyone loves it. It's a big oh, old rock song that just kind of makes you feel... I'm just kidding. No, number one is Basic from 2015. Well, uh, that is a journey that we just went on, and I'm very fascinated. But you know, here's the thing, listeners. We're not done yet. Oh, oh, you thought we were done with the last ranking artist of our 50th ranking artist? No, we have a happy hour mini-sode right after this, which means we needed to talk about their worst song. We need to talk about uh, their influence on the K-pop genre, their solo career, so much more. So in the meantime, though, Mason, thank you so, yes. so much for being here. We really oh, appreciate for- it plucking me out of obscurity and having me. (laughs) I appreciate it. I really love the Brown Eyed Girls, and I was surprised a podcast was talking about them, especially because it doesn't seem like you guys have talked much about K-pop on your podcast before. No. Um, No. And I was like, oh, someone does... I was like, oh, I'm really surprised they didn't do, like, BTS, because that's the name on everyone's lips right now. Oh, God, no. like, the Brown Eyed Girls, I was like, yes, someone... Someone else stands them. Well, it's not just me in America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, We're so awesome. I've I've been I watched Gangnam Style like when it still only had like two hundred million views, and then clicked on uh, Twenty One um, and watched uh, I Love You, and was just like sold oh, from there. So like I that song. I there in like two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen. There, I went months without listening to any music in English. Um, so I, I was like fully like I knew all of the members of every single group. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's part of why like I don't do that quite anymore. But that's I'm I'm from that wave of me too. Call you. Mm-hmm. So that's why like yeah. Brown Eyed Girls is Some so big fiction. For me. 21 yeah four minute for sure exactly yeah exactly so that's i would also um i don't know how you feel about fx but they're my other like i like fx yeah i i i think yeah i like i like fx a lot i think pink tape is overrated agreed like fx i think i think pink tape i think that the albums the couple albums they put out after that actually accomplished what everyone like said pink tape was doing do you know what i mean exactly four walls Oh, oh, come on. Okay, look, so guys, guys, guys this walls. is half hour mini soda material. We'll You're talk right. about that. I'm sorry. On top of also the other favorite thing in my life, which is the Wonder Girls. We're back. But we'll get <laughs> yes. to that in a goddamn moment. In the meantime, though, Mason, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. We will see you in the Happy Hour Minisode. Uh, and in the meantime, to all of our listeners, uh, don't forget to uh, like us. Don't forget to subscribe to us. We say those. Those are words that are coming up. But what if you actually did it? What if you actually did something in your life to motivate and help us achieve greatness? Don't let him guilt Never- you. <laughs> like it if you like it. Like you it know? if you like it. Subscribe it if you want to subscribe it. Give us a rating and be honest. If it's two stars, we know you actually listen. So uh, feel free to actually do that. In the meantime, though, uh, keep on listening because you know that we'll be... Have a good one, guys. Good. Bye. Bye. Hello. This is David from the New Movies Podcast, Catching Up David. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about one of the movies we watched recently that I liked the most, and that was Lilo and Stitch. I especially like the aliens in Lilo and Stitch, which I didn't realize was a thing. He didn't realize that was a thing because David doesn't know 
anything about modern pop culture, he somehow missed all of the 2000s. So Kristen and I, we made a list of the pop culture canon, movies that we feel were influential, and have really solidified their place in today's pop culture, and we make David watch them. So if you want to experience someone experiencing pop culture for the first time having lived in a bubble, we can be found at Catching Up David on Twitter. Or you can find us any place you listen to podcasts. Or at catchingupdavid.podbean.com.